Hello and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, and today I'm continuing my mini-series on fascist betrayers, that is, fascists who have turned their backs on their former comrades. This week I'm talking about a fascist who literally turned his back on his former comrades and worked for the organization that destroyed them. I'm talking about Werner von Braun. Now, Werner von Braun is a famous figure already. Uh, he was probably the leading figure in German and later United States rocketry, uh, especially from the period uh, 1940 to the late 1960s. Uh, von Braun was born in 1912 in what was then Eastern Prussia, uh, which is now uh, sort of West Central Poland, to a German family. Uh, his father was a German conservative politician. Uh, von Braun did very well in school, particularly, not a surprise, in science. Uh, he was also a cellist and a pianist, uh, and briefly considered being a composer uh, rather than being a scientist. Uh, however, he got a telescope as a gift as an early teenager and uh, attended uh, very exciting early rocketry demonstrations that were happening in Germany in the 1920s. Um, he got so excited about rocketry as a youth that he almost killed himself making a homemade rocket and sort of like strapping it to a cart and getting on it. Uh, he later attended elite universities in Berlin, uh, where by then his family had moved in order for his father to participate in the government of Weimar Germany as the agricultural minister. Uh, his attendance at elite universities landed him uh, extremely important positions, and he, you know, got very choice appointments. He was doing very well. He was on his way to become the leading light in rocketry in Germany. And this was happening right as the Nazis were in the process of taking power in the country. Uh, so the Nazis took power in 1933. Von Braun finished his doctorate in 1934 in physics. He was leading a team of other rocketry scientists uh, doing tests, uh, and they were some of the most successful rocketry tests in Germany at the time. This led him to be chosen to be one of the leading scientists at a secret rocketry research laboratory on the coast of the Baltic Sea. Uh, and this is where he did his work for the Nazi government, studying rocketry and, you know, developing rocket fuel, developing successful rocket tests. Uh, there was a brief period when they were looking at potentially manned rocket aircraft, uh, although that was eventually scrapped. The primary project that he was involved in that was very successful was the V2 rocket program, which was an just a rocket bomb uh, that was fairly unguided, but was, you know, about as guided as you could get a rocket to be in the 1940s. But that's jumping ahead of ourselves a little bit. So in the early 30s, in the mid 30s, he was a rocketry scientist working under the Nazi government, but not in the Nazi party. By 1937, however, uh, the before the war, but with war clearly on the horizon, he and the other scientists at this rocketry research lab on the Baltic Sea were taken under the uh, increasingly intense wing of the Nazi government and the Nazi party. Uh, he and his fellow scientists were heavily encouraged, uh, he claims forced, to join the Nazi party. And so he applied for membership in 1937 and was finally uh, admitted to the party as I think it's five millionth member in 1937. Uh, he later joined the SS as well, uh, the paramilitary branch of the Nazi party, in 1940, uh, with a rank roughly equivalent to that of a lieutenant. Uh, he 
uh, continued to advance in the ranks of the party and the SS. Uh, and he claims that these were just sort of like perfunctory things relevant to his age and his status. Uh, but that's precisely the controversy here. Now, von Braun claims that he did all of these things, you know, that he joined the Nazi party, that he joined the SS uh, out of political career expediency, right? You know, he said like, well, if I hadn't joined the Nazi party, I wouldn't have been able to do my dream, which might very well be true. But, you know, if that's the kind of compromise that you need to make in order to achieve your dream, which for him was uh, manned space flight, uh, yeah, you know, then maybe it's not worth it to join the Nazi party. Like, if you don't agree with the Nazis, maybe don't work with them, no matter what they're doing and giving to you. This is, of course, a big lesson about, like, how working with fascist organizations and right-wing organizations in general can seem palatable to people once they have gotten power. You know, people can delude themselves into thinking that they might work with this people. You know, they might be able to work inside of the system. They might be able to subvert it even. They might be able to ignore or just not deal with any of the problems here. Uh, von Braun's career is an example of somebody who got extremely powerful in the Nazi government and uh, faced zero consequences for it, unfortunately. But again, that's jumping ahead of ourselves. So here we are. It's um, the late 1930s, the early 1940s. The war has started. Von Braun is in the Nazi party. He is in the SS. He is working for the Nazis, building military weapons for them. Conditions in the factory and in the, you know, the manufacturing and research of rocketry had worsened uh, over the course of the establishment of the war and as Germany's position in the war was worsening and it seemed like they were losing. Uh, by 1943, the commander of this rocketry research laboratory who was uh, you know, a, a more established military man than von Braun was, uh, had decided that the Rocketry manufacturing would no longer be undertaken by employees, uh, but would instead be used enslaved labor from concentration and labor camps in the area, including Auschwitz. By this point, the purpose of rocketry manufacturing in Germany was essentially exclusively the V2 rocket, which was the sort of earliest and most successful rocket weapon in world history. So, you know, this is the precursor to the modern day uh, ballistic missile system. At the time, however, these were uh, very difficult to direct. You know, they, they were not precision weapons at all. Their purpose was to launch in the general direction of Southeast England, specifically London, in order to kill civilians. And this is what von Braun was doing with his life. And he wasn't just doing that. He was doing it with uh, the labor of enslaved and um, terribly oppressed tortured, malnourished people from Eastern Europe, uh, primarily Jewish people, but also people of Slavic descent. Von Braun has tried to claim ignorance. Uh, like many people working with the Nazis, like many Nazis themselves, uh, he said, I never saw any camps, I never visited them, etc. Uh, however, testimony from surviving prisoners of these camps and from people who survived working in this, uh, you know, rocketry manufacturing plant uh, have made it clear that this is false. Uh, they recall seeing him not just there, uh, but actively calling for prisoners to be tortured or killed. Similarly, von Braun always claimed that he never wore his Nazi uniform, you know, that he only put it on when the bigwigs really demanded it. Uh, but witnesses later on said, 
that's not true. Uh, he wore his swastika insignia all the time. Uh, he put on his uniform for regular meetings. Um, you know, he was just like everybody else, participating fully in the system, uh, wearing his party regalia, participating in the oppression, extermination, murder, and torture of millions of people. Von Braun later in life changed his story uh, and said, you know, yes, I did know about all of the murder and I did know about all of the oppression and I did know about the enslaved labor, but I didn't think I could do anything about it. And it is possible, yeah, you know, he wouldn't have been able to stop anything. But we do know from history that there were many people who saw these systems and decided to do some small thing about it. You know, they decided to try to save people or to make labor less intense or who, yes, you know, renounced their own personal desires and dreams in order to not be parties to the worst human rights atrocity in the history of the world. Uh, von Braun did not do that. He continued to work for the Nazis building rocketry weapons until essentially the very end. Uh, with a brief period, uh, a brief break, uh, in which he was arrested by the Gestapo for some potentially treasonous statements he'd made, uh, not about, like, how he hated the Nazis or anything, he just said that he would prefer to be making space rockets, uh, you know, to, to take people to the moon. Uh, he was eventually let out uh, by Hitler specifically, because Hitler had been convinced by Himmler, the leader of the SS, that von Braun was vital to the V2 program, which was true. Uh, von Braun was a brilliant uh, rocket scientist. Uh, however, by early 1945, it was obvious to von Braun and the other scientists at this plant that the war was going terribly for Germany and that Germany was about to lose. The Soviets were closing in on them uh, from the east, and they decided that they didn't want to work for the Soviets. You know, they didn't want to get captured by the Soviets. Uh, so they wanted to surrender to the United States instead, uh, because, of course, they thought that the United States would let them continue to be rocket scientists. Uh, and, you know, spoiler alert for the rest of this episode, that's precisely what happened. They surrendered to the United States, and after a brief period of, you know, detention and interrogation, they were denazified. Um, and this process of the United States getting all of these former scientists and getting them to work for the United States is called Operation Paperclip. Uh, there is a bunch of sort of like, you know, give your uncle for Christmas history books about this kind of thing. Uh, so this begins uh, von Braun's career in the United States. Uh, he did first some labor from 1944 to 1950 in obscurity in the Southwest uh, without all that much money uh, because the United States had, you know, sort of other things to do, like uh, rebuild the economy of Europe and, um, you know, try to prevent the Soviet Union from invading uh, Europe again or something like that. However, after the Soviet Union started to make more and more advances in the space race and Ultimately, and most importantly, uh, with the Soviets winning the first part of the space race with the launch of Sputnik in 1957, uh, the United States decided to spend a whole lot more money on this. And again, I want to emphasize, not because they were like, oh man, the Soviets beat us to space. Like, the United States government cared about space in that it was a way to get people to be patriotic and, you know, a way to have a rivalry with the Soviets. But the real material purpose of the space race was that it was a way to get billions of dollars to make big old rockets. 
What can you put on big old rockets? Well, yeah, you can put people who go to the moon, but you can also put nuclear weapons on rockets. That was what the space race was about. It was about showing how powerful of rockets you had, which meant that, you know, you could attack your opponent's capital instantaneously or, you know, within a couple hours, uh, which uh, in terms of all previous forms of warfare was effectively instantaneous. So uh, von Braun in 1948 joins up uh, with the newly created National Aeronautics and Space Administration, NASA, and continues to make uh, rockets. Uh, these ones were not specifically weapons, uh, but like I said, these were things that were intended to eventually further the possibilities for what would become intercontinental ballistic missiles. Now, this work at NASA is the stuff that he is most famous for in a positive light. Uh, he worked with uh, the PR part of NASA, working with Walt Disney to popularize the idea of spaceflight, again, a sort of like PR veneer on the space race and on the massive, like just untold amounts of money that were spent on it. He was a key scientist and key player in the Mercury Project, uh, which was the rocket that took um, the first United States citizen to space and the first, you know, United States, um, like, payloads to space, you know, the United States' equivalent of Sputnik. He finally worked, most importantly, on the Saturn V, uh, which was an enormous sort of cargo rocket that would lead to the, like, biggest payloads that the United States was sending to space, uh, essentially until the 1980s and 1990s. Uh, the Saturn V is the big rocket that was capable of launching the Apollo program. And so uh, with the help of the United States, von Braun was able to achieve his childhood dream of helping to get people on the moon. And that was always his dream, and he actually did it. Uh, he continued to advance in NASA and, you know, was sort of like uh, a top planner person there uh, up until 1972 uh, when he resigned, disillusioned by the lack of funding and interest that people in the United States showed to spaceflight after the moon landing. His dream, of course, was to live long enough to see people land on Mars. Uh, but the thing is that rockets that big and payloads that impressive are not necessary for intercontinental nuclear warfare. And so uh, the system was, you know, not fully funded because that wasn't its purpose. Uh, immediately after he left NASA, he was diagnosed with kidney cancer. And this is 1973. He had a series of uh, increasingly difficult years for him uh, in terms of his health as he worked in the private sector, primarily for, you know, aeronautics and engine companies. Uh, as his physical health deteriorated, he was awarded increasing uh, medals and recognition for his service to the United States. For example, Gerald Ford, president of the United States, uh, tried to give him the top honor that the United States gives scientists, but by this point, he was too ill to attend the ceremony. Von Braun finally died of pancreatic cancer June the 16th, 1977. Werner von Braun is a perfect example of someone who turned his back on the Nazis that launched his career, that enabled some of his greatest successes and enabled uh, the beginnings of his scientific excitement. Uh, he worked with them because he thought that they would help him, uh, and he turned his back on them as soon as that was no longer the case. But that does not erase the fact that he willingly and apparently earnestly participated in the Holocaust and the oppression and murder that it caused. 
All right. That was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. If you really like the podcast, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 Minutes of Fascism. That's 15 Minutes of Fascism, all one word. That's also where you can check me out on Gmail, 15 Minutes of Fascism at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at Hist of the Right, that's H-I-S-T of the Right, and Fascism 15, and again, that's 15 all spelled out. All right, thanks, and I'll talk to you next week.